Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Stoffenbaugh as he gives us an encouraging word titled, Say What God Wants to Hear. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you. I have a wonderful message. And let's say a little prayer first. Father, we just pray your Holy Spirit will come and talk to us. And then I really want you to help us remember uh, this message in a very special way. I, for one, really want to practice it constantly. And I pray you'll help each of my listeners do the same. Now, surround us with an angelic guard so nothing can hinder. Put your ministering angels all around us, too, to help us receive and retain, understand it, and apply it. Holy Spirit, we love your daily coaching in all these things. Now, uh, we want you to be glorified through this message, Lord, and that's our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The message is entitled, Say What God Wants to Hear. I'm going to read a chapter, uh, well, parts of two chapters from the book of Malachi, starting with uh, chapter 3, verse 13, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 3. I'm using the ESV translation. I want you to notice what people are saying, because some people are saying what God doesn't want to hear, but then other people are saying what God does want to hear. And when they do that, God makes a special record. He, uh, he notices, he listens, and he makes a record of those who are saying what he wants to hear. And then he promises some really dynamic, wonderful promises to them, promising them deliverance and victory in a time of national or even international judgment. Now, you and I can be among that special company of people who say what God wants to hear. So here's the scripture. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. That's what God didn't want to hear. <laughs> the scripture continues, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, here's the promises. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. One translation says, in the day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That's a hot fire, by the way, a forest fire that burns up the roots of the trees. Imagine how hot that is. <clears throat> Uh, the forest fires usually just burn up the trunks and the branches, but not the roots. So the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, now here's a great promise, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord. Now, uh, my first point is that we need, to, when we talk one another as to other Christians, we need to steer the conversation around to uh, uh, telling miracle stories of all the great things God has done. I believe that that is about the highest form of uh, talking when you talk together the Bible says those who feared the Lord talked to each other and the Lord listened and heard. Now, I don't think they were talking about their favorite sports team. I don't think they were talking about what preacher fell into sin or, uh, or what some company is doing or what some politician is doing that's so stupid. Uh, I believe they were talking miracles. Now, uh, I had an experience several years ago. I was in uh, Albemarle, North Carolina, and... Uh, I was invited to the home of, of uh, Harold Wallace. Now, Harold 
was a prophet, uh, evangelist. Uh, he had the gift of miracles working in his ministry. So he'd often pray for people and God would supernaturally fill their teeth. So he was just full of miracle stories and he was just a few years older than me, but uh, we'd sit there at the kitchen table and we started telling miracle stories. He'd tell one and then I'd tell one from my experience or something that I've heard. And then he'd tell another one and I'd tell another one. And and uh, we did that for about three hours, if I remember right. Now, we weren't trying to top each other's story like, oh, yeah, well, listen to this. No, we were just really reveling in God. We were just delighting in the Lord. And that's when I became aware that I believed we were fulfilling that scripture. I believe the Lord listened in and heard that and and made a record of it. And uh, so then after that, I have, uh, when I go out to dinner with a preacher or, you know, I'm with some other Christian at, at a restaurant or something, I always remember the sweetness of that telling the miracle stories. And if I can, I try to inject a few and get everybody talking about uh, miracle stories. And I just believe that that fulfills that scripture. Now, I would like to be one of God's treasured possessions. I'd like to be spared as he, as a man spares his son. I'd like God to make a distinction between me and the, me and the wicked and uh, uh, have the son of righteousness arise on me with healing in his wings. And that's not too difficult to say what God wants to hear. If we would just talk about how great God is when we get together and uh, begin telling these stories of what God has done for us, what we've seen in the Bible, of, of different stories we've heard, what God did for others, it's just the most delightful thing to talk about, and it builds our faith. So let me tell you one of the stories that Harold told me that time. Now, he said that one day God spoke to him and gave him the name of a lady in Canada her first and last name gave her, uh, gave him her address. He'd never heard of this woman, and he and God told him, "I want you to drive up to Canada, go to her door, and ask this lady f to give you one thousand dollars for your ministry." And so Harold got a friend to go with him on this uh, odd journey, and they went from uh, Albemarle, North Carolina, up into Canada. And when they got to the address, the, the house was just a little ramshackle type of a shack. And uh, so Harold went and knocked on the door, and a little old lady came to the door, and he said, Hi, ma'am, my name is Harold Wallace. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me down in Albemarle, North Carolina, and told me to drive up here to your address. He gave me your name and address and, and told me to ask you for $1,000 for my ministry. And she smiled at him and says, come on in. I'll give you $1,000 for your ministry. And she had him sit down there on an old couch. And, and so she went to the, her little bedroom and came out with a whole bunch of cash. I mean, it was just, it boggled their mind. And they, they and she began to count out $1,000 for him. Now, and they said, well, now, don't you think if you have this much money that you ought to put it in a bank or something? And uh, it's, it might be kind of dangerous keeping it all here. And she said, well, if I did that, I couldn't watch God multiply it. And then she told him this story. She said, I support eight different ministries at $1,000 a month, even though I'm just on a little fixed uh, income. And what I do is I cash my little check and I spread it out on the coffee table. And then I begin to pray and ask God to supply for all these different ministries. And God multiplies the money. She said, so I've been doing this for quite a few months and uh, I began to wonder if, if, you know, if I should continue. Uh, and so what I did is I asked God to speak to someone who did not know me and have them come to my door and ask me for $1,000 <laughs> for their ministry. Well, Harold uh, told me that, that story. And... Uh, so what I did is I was being invited then to go on a medical um, missions trip with, with a group of people from Albemarle First Assembly of God. And I told 
some of the people and then the one of the doctors there was a, a the main man in charge of this trip and so i told him and several others uh, the story that harold had told me about how god multiplied the money well we went on this missions trip to uh, new delhi and uh, it was a medical missions uh, trip. So the, the, it, uh, we did these clinics for different schools that were overseen by this one pastor and his wife, multiple Christian schools, most of them in these terrible slums. Well, the kids brought a lot of their parents to be treated at these free clinics as well. And so they used up all their medicine. They brought suitcases full of medicine and uh, so the pastor then had to get more medicine, and uh, he used up quite a bit of our expense money to pay for our food and our hotel. Uh, and then a couple of the team members did not uh, pay their share and uh, didn't turn in their uh, expense money for food and hotels. And so near the end of the trip, he came to me and told me the problem. He said, we had to dip into our expense money. I'm not going to have enough to pay the hotel here and for our food and our, our hotel expense. But he said, there's a little bit of money left in this envelope. I want you to pray over it and ask God to multiply it and pay all the expenses out of this envelope. Now, I didn't look in the envelope, but I took the envelope and I prayed this prayer. I said, dear God, you know that this doctor and his team bought all the medicine they could bring. They couldn't bring any more on the airplane. And uh, dear God, now you know that uh, this situation wasn't because of his bad planning or anything. Uh, it was beyond our control and the, and the parents got help. So dear Lord, I ask you to pay all the bills out of this envelope in the name of Jesus and that you will be glorified. I didn't look in the envelope. I gave it back to the doctor. And I didn't hear any more about it till after the trip was over. We were exhausted when we got on the airplane and had to fly like all night. But when we got back, the doctor told me that uh, he had paid all the bills out of that envelope. And there was still money left over. And so before he got on the airplane, he tried to give what was, uh, he wanted to give what was left of the money to the pastor and his wife that overseed all these uh, schools. Well, as he gave, he took money out of the envelope, there was more money in there. So he kept handing it to the pastor's wife until she had such a big wad of money, it would not fit into her purse. <laughs> Now, how many of you think telling stories like that is just flat-out fun? Uh, and and uh, having now that you've heard those two stories, who knows what kind of wonderful similar miracle God will do for you. So talk those miracles. Now, that reminds me of a Don Cox story. Don was a, a tremendous uh, evangelist. He also had the working of miracles operating in his ministry and was often called the miracle man. And he was a pioneer in Christian television, one of the first to have a Christian broadcast. So that was quite a while ago. But uh, he called it the Hour of Hope. And uh, he just, one day he was going to get thrown off the air because he didn't have the money to pay the, the broadcast bill. So he often taught that you should pray and ask God for what you need and then lift your hands and praise God for it and believe that you have received it and then the third step he would say was to go look for your miracle and he'd quote the scripture ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find and so he had all kinds of stories of how he'd uh, go seeking for a miracle and and uh, uh, those were just mind-boggling stories. Well, anyway, he told his wife that he was going to go look for a miracle. He'd prayed and asked God for the money. And uh, he said, I'm not coming back till I find it. And he just went walking down the street of the city, looking around at the buildings and the sidewalk, looking for money. Now, he had prayed that God would give him the money. Remember that. He had thanked God for it. Well, all of a sudden, he felt a hand go in the pocket of his jacket, and uh, it left a, a big roll of bills. So he whirled around, and there wasn't anyone there. And so he ran down the street looking all the doorways, but there was no one in the doorways. So he 
uh, thank God for the money, and he started to walk again, and a, and a hand went in his left pocket, and this time he quickly grabbed the wrist. And as he whirled around to see who it was, the wrist just slipped out like it was greased, and there was no one there. But there was a big wad of money left in his other pocket. And then he said, I just kind of walked in a daze as the angels put money in my pockets, one after another, one after another. And he says, the next thing I remember is I was stepping up on my porch. And I walked in, and I began to pull out the rolls of money. And he says, when I threw them on the table, they exploded like you would if you cut open a big tight roll of insulation, you know. It would just kind of poof and expand with the air. And that's the way the money did. And he said, it was falling all over the floor, and my wife thought I had robbed a bank. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Well, uh, now, uh, I learned from Don then that you should pray and praise God for it and go looking for a miracle. And so I've got my own stories related to that. But what happened was I uh, preached that in a... Uh, in Ohio, in a town called Brookville, Ohio. And then two years later, I had the opportunity to go back to that church. And a lady came up to me and said, two years ago, you preached and told us to pray and ask God for it and then praise God for it as if we had it and then go looking for the miracle. She said, you've got to hear my story. She said, I I have a fifth, I have a, a big German shepherd dog, and he needs a 50-pound sack of dog food. So one night I was completely out of money, completely out of dog food, and my shoes were so worn out I couldn't wear them even one more day to work. And that night she said, I told God I absolutely had to have the money for shoes and dog food. And then I praised him for sending the money. And then she says, I got in my car and I began to drive around and look for money. And she said, I saw money blowing across a vacant lot. So I parked the car, I got out and began to pick up the money. And a lady saw me doing that. And the lady said, is that your money? And I said, no. So she picked up some of it. And then I said, well, how much money did you get? And she said, oh, I, was, I got enough that I was able to buy a 50-pound sack of dog food with it. And then Walmart had two had a sale on shoes, and I was able to buy uh, two pair of shoes for the price of one. So she got uh, two pairs of shoes and the 50-pound sack of dog food. Now, that's a true story, true miracle story. And see, when you sit around the table and you're telling stories like that, God listens. He records that. And then he starts uh, uh, telling you all these marvelous promises. Now, several months ago, I had a delightful lunch. I preached at uh, Myrtle Creek at the Assembly of God Church there, and that's called Umpqua Valley First Assembly of God. And the interim pastors are Dave and Nancy Edwards, and uh, they took me out to lunch after the service. And we were just talking, and we got into this miracle talk stuff. And we just we just did what me and Harold did. We just told miracle stories. And so as we were telling these different miracle stories, Dave told one that is just really special. He and his wife, Nancy, were on a ministry trip in a van, and the thermostat went bad, and he lost out in eastern Oregon, out in the middle of nowhere. They lost almost all the fluid out of the radiator. So he he took out the thermostat and then they tried to find some water, but the vacant houses had padlocks on their water faucets. There was such a drought in the area. They went to they walked to a restaurant and begged for some water, but the restaurant would not give them any water for the radiator. And uh, so the, there was just no way to get any water. So the, they just said and Lord, you sent us on this trip. Please help us in Jesus' name. And he started the van. And then he just began to drive. And and the temperature gauge just stayed on cool. And he kept driving. They actually even turned on the air conditioner. And the air conditioner came on, uh, cool air. So after about 100 miles, he stopped. And he loosened the cap of the radiator. And to his amazement, fresh beautiful colored antifreeze began to ooze out of the top of the radiator. So he tightened the cap to keep it in there. (laughs) And he drove on several hundred more miles and got to his destination. 
But at that destination then, he wanted to put a new thermostat in the radiator, so he had to drain out that miracle antifreeze, and five gallons came out, but his radiator only held about three and a half gallons. Now, isn't that a story? So as he told that story, I said, well, I've got a miracle radiator story, and here's the story. You may have heard me tell this before, but in the 1970s, I ran a large bus ministry in Goshen, Oregon. And uh, one of the radiators was bad. I asked the volunteer mechanics to take it out and take it in for repair. And I went out, signed up a bunch of bus kids, came back, and that old rusty radiator was sitting in the hall with a note in the top of it. And it said, Wes, this radiator is shot. It leaks along the bottom. A1, meaning A1 radiator shop, has another replacement for $100, but it's five and a half inches taller. Call if you have any questions. Jim. Now, I looked at that note, and I knew that if I told the pastor I needed another $100 for the buses, he would say we just did not have it because we were just pushing so hard to bring in all those kids, and, and the bus ministry was expensive. Well, it was Friday, and I just knew that bus had to run. Pat Burgess was the bus captain back in those days, and uh, he would bring in about 50 kids every Sunday. Out of 50, about five would be new, and all five would uh, accept Christ the first Sunday. I just knew that bus had to run, but I didn't have time to even say a prayer. I just walked from the hallway into the church office, and the secretary was named Mae Ricks. She just leaped to her feet and she said there's been a miracle there's been a miracle jesus appeared to a man and told him to give you a hundred dollars she put a hundred dollars in my hand a hundred dollar check well i went to a1 radiator shop and they had this brand new truck radiator but it was an odd size and so they had discounted it. Now, it must have been worth $300 or something, but I got it for $100. Now, remember, it was five and a half inches taller than our other radiator, but it was the same width. So I told the mechanics, put it in the bus, and uh, they did. They had to cut off a little bit of angle iron bracing under the hood, and then the hood just barely clipped down shut over that extra tall radiator, and we ran the bus on time. Now, two weeks later, the man who had the vision of Jesus took me out to lunch, and he was a complete stranger, and he explained. He said, I was making a fire in a wood stove in my warehouse when I heard a voice behind me say, kneel and pray. And he said, so I knelt, and I, I turned to look towards the voice, and I saw a white robe, and I, I looked right up that white robe into the face of Jesus Christ himself. And he stretched out his hand and said, I want you to take that $100 you got in the mail today and give it to Wes. He's in trouble with his buses. And uh, he said, Lord, he began to cry. I don't know any Wes. And Jesus said, Wes at Goshen. And he cried all the harder. He said, but Lord, I don't know any Wes at Goshen. And Jesus said, call Bob Tennant. He'll know what to do. And Jesus disappeared. Now, Bob Tennant was one of our ushers at the church. And he happened to sell bricks for a living, and this guy was a brick mason. So they knew each other through their business connection. Well, he called up, uh, you know, uh, Bob Tennant at uh, Willamette Greystone was the name of the business. And uh, he said, Bob, get over here quick. Bob thought maybe his wife had died or something. So he rushed over there. And they told him what had happened. And both of those men just cried and wept. And finally, they remembered why Jesus appeared. And they got in their car and had just barely left that check at our church and drove away when I drove up and pulled that note out of the radiator. Now, that miracle story has a part two. About 30 years later, I came back. Uh, I had lived... 17 years in Nebraska and then about four years in, uh, in uh, Chehalis, Washington. And so then I came back and I, I guess it was at least 20 years or more. But uh, I came back to that area and pastored a church for two years and 11 months that was in Cresswell, Oregon, and it was just five miles south of Goshen. So we had a much smaller bus ministry, but we had a bus and a van and we'd bring in 20 to 50 kids every week. And uh, and it was good for that size of church. Well, the van had a bad radiator, so I took the van to A1 Radiator in Eugene, Oregon. 
the same place uh, that had sold me the one for $100 all those years before. And I said to the man, how long you been working here? And he said, oh, I've been working here all my adult life, uh, over 20 years. And so I told him the story of the miracle radiator and Jesus appearing to that man. So I left and I did some other things. And I came back to pick up the van and I and he had put a, a new radiator in the van. I said, well, how much do I owe you? And he said, this one's on the house. <laughs> now, God gave me two miracle radiators over 20 years apart uh, to help me bring children to Jesus. Now, folks, isn't telling stories like that fun? Well, let me tell you another one. Uh, I uh, preached one time down in Arkansas, and I met uh, a man that was a missionary, an independent missionary to Mexico, or in Honduras, actually. And his name was Golden, his last name. And he told me this story. He said that they were traveling through Mexico, bringing medicine to Honduras, to their mission headquarters there, uh, their base. And uh, they kept getting charged tariffs on the medicine. And the tariffs used up their whole food budget. Now, they only got a check from their organization for their expenses about once a month. And so they were going to have to go about a month uh, without any food budget. And But they felt they were supposed to get that medicine in there, so they went ahead and used up their food budget. But they didn't know how they were going to eat for a month. And so when they got home they discovered that pack rats had invaded their house during their absence. And they found, uh, they found a large nest of shredded paper behind the kitchen stove, and in the middle of the nest was a fresh $20 bill without teeth marks. <laughs> they found five of those pack rat nests in their house, all made from shredded paper, but each one had a fresh $20 bill in the center without teeth marks on it. And so that was their food budget for the month. That got them through till their, their next check came. Now, God fed Elijah. You've probably read the story via ravens for six months. They'd bring him bread and meat twice a day. That went on for six months. But he fed Mr. and Mrs. Golden via pack rats. Now, remember, my point is, say what God wants to hear. He just loves it when we get together. Instead of talking all the problems in the world and who's bad and who's mad and who's sad, when we get to talking how great God is and telling miracle stories, God listens in. And we literally live out that scripture in Malachi where God promises then that the, the son of righteousness will rise on us with healing in his wings and God will make us his treasured possession and he'll spare us in the day when his wrath breaks out in judgment, national or international. Now, what about healing miracles? Well, it's great fun to talk healing miracles. Recently, I spoke at Loving Faith Fellowship in Sioux City and also in uh, Sioux City, Iowa, and three Hispanic churches where uh, Pastor Pat Burgess serves as a spiritual father and overseer. And while we were driving, he was telling me of one trip that he took to Pakistan, and they wanted the people wanted him to pray for a girl that couldn't speak. She could just go, oh, 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 you know, just no clear syllables. <clears throat> and uh, so he prayed for her, and she instantly spoke perfect Urdu, which is their language. But what he did not know is that girl did not have a tongue. She was born without a tongue. He didn't pray that God would give her a new tongue. He asked God to help her speak clearly, so she spoke clearly without a tongue. <laughs> now, that's a miracle. On that same trip, he was asked to pray for a woman uh, who had no eye sockets in her eyes. They were, there were no eyeballs in her eyes. And they wanted him to pray for her to see. So he prayed for her and... Uh, when he's done praying, she began to see and 
and uh, shout that she could see. And so, but he, she didn't have any eyeballs. So he just says, well, what color is my suit? And she told him. And what color is my tie? She told him. And he tested her. She could see perfectly without eyeballs. And on that trip, God spoke to him and said, if I want you to see through your elbow, you'll see through your elbow. Now, that's fun stuff. Oh, we serve a God that knows no impossibility. See, the Bible says nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. Now, recently, I ministered on divine healing in Yonkala Assembly of God here in Oregon. And uh, one lady that came forward for prayer had really bad hip joints that needed, she said she needed a hip replacement in those joints. So I had the women come around her and and I said, now put your hands over her hip joints. And then I put my hands on top of their hands so that everything was modest. And I began to pray. And I said, Lord, I ask you to take new hip joints from the drawers of heaven. And when I said the new hip joints from the drawers of heaven, this lady burst out. She said, my mother had a near-death experience. She was taken to heaven and she saw this warehouse where there was all these body parts. Uh, 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 and she saw hearts and lungs and joints. And, and, uh, and she's been telling people this, but none of us believe her. We, we thought she was just, you know, kind of hallucinating or something. And... Uh, but but I said, oh, no, that's uh, lots of people have seen that. I said, Richard Sigmund was dead for eight hours. He saw that, you know, and wrote about it in his book, My Time in Heaven. And then Anna Roundtree uh, wrote the book, Heaven Awaits the Bride. And she was also shown a vision of heaven and uh, given a tour of that warehouse where they had all these body parts. Now, in Richard Sigmund's book, uh, the warehouse was called the the unclaimed miracles. The, the miracles were still in the drawers because they hadn't been claimed. Well, uh, that lady was so happy to hear me say that because it verified what her mother had seen. But remember, we had prayed God would give her new hip joints. And so as she, I was packing up the book table and she walked out of the church carrying that cane that she came in with. <laughs> this time she's carrying it. And she said to me, I won't need this anymore. And she said, somebody's hands were really hot. Well, uh, praise the name of Jesus. Now, that was all my first point. How many? I usually have seven points. This sermon only has three. We have two to go. Now, first of all, I told you that say the title is Say What God Wants to Hear. So when you get around the table, see, and you're talking with other Christians, see if you can steer the conversation and get people talking about the good things God has done and tell those miracle stories and answers to prayer. You'll have the sweetest fellowship and then when you hear those stories, they're going to boost your faith and you'll begin to experience uh, similar things. Now, my second point is don't give God any disruption. And uh, in July of 2000, July 10th, it was 2016, it was a Sunday night. I was in Edenton, North Carolina, getting ready to preach the Sunday night service. And they had a prayer meeting for half an hour before the service or an hour and during that prayer meeting, God spoke to me and said, I have a word for America. It's not destruction. It's disruption. And he said, I could give America, right now, I could give America destruction. But I'm going to give America more time to repent. So I'm giving America disruption. And then it was as if a light shined in a dark room. Now, if you were in a dark room, you couldn't see what was in the room. But if the light came on, nobody would have to tell you what was in the room. You could just look around and see it. And that's, that's what I experienced as, as God said, I'm going to give America disruption. I could begin to perceive as if the light of heaven was showing me all these different things. And, just, and, and it was massive disruption that was going to just disrupt everything. Well... Uh, so I began to, you know, watch for disruption. And over the next three years and eight months, disruptions would happen, but they'd be locally. There'd be a hurricane that would disrupt Houston or uh, uh, tornadoes uh, or there was, um, there was riots that would disrupt, disrupt cities and things like this. Uh, but after 
the three years and eight months then in March of 2020 is when the COVID-19 pandemic came. And that was really the beginning of the great national disruption because it disrupted businesses, churches, travel, schools, elections, and, and much more. Now, that night when God uh, said, I'm, I've got one word for America, and it's not destruction, it's disruption. I've got one word for America, it's disruption. Then God spoke again and said, don't give me any disruption, and I'll keep you through everything. And then some verses were, came into my spirit, rapid fire one after another. And the first one that came in was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I realize that Christians, including me, often give God some expressions of joy, and then we disrupt those expressions with gloominess, foreboding, worry, and fear. I realize that Christians, including me, can express our thankfulness to God for a while and then disrupt that with complaining, grumbling, whining, pouting, envy of others uh, getting blessed, and just plain old ingratitude where we forget to say thank you for God's love and care. I realize that Christians, including myself, often fall far short of praying continually and often just pray sporadically. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a number one health principle in the Bible, by the way, if you want divine health, you, uh, you walk in love, you walk in faith, and the peace of God guards your health. Most diseases are stress-related or uh, in some way stress lowers the immune system and et cetera, et cetera. Now, it's easy to give God disrupted prayer, meaning that we only pray in some situations or problems or then we disrupt our prayers where we try to work things out on our own or just give up or just decide the problem's going to stay a problem. Then another scripture came to me that night. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Revelations twenty two eleven. So God doesn't want any disruption in our holiness or righteousness. He wants it to be constant. Later, after this experience, I began to notice other verses where God wanted this uh, no disruption from us, like Amos 5.24, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, God promised me that he would keep me in a time of great national disruption if I would avoid giving him disruption. So my sermon here is say what God wants to hear. And God wants to hear your expressions of joy, rejoicing in him. He wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear you give thanks in all circumstances without disrupting that. And you might say, well, dear God, how can I avoid giving you disruption just just get to know what god wants and then you ask god and help me with that lord and if i start to disrupt my joy or my prayers or or my thankfulness just holy spirit just to beam a little check into my spirit and i'll i'll shape up with your help i'm going to need your help and the lord will like to hear that prayer Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, that even includes times of, of uh, supply chain shortages and high <laughs> inflation and all this stuff. Just keep seeking first the kingdom of God. Don't give God disruption, and God's going to keep you through whatever disruptions come because you'll be saying what God wants to hear. Well, during that year of 2020, my preaching income dropped by two-thirds. 
two-thirds cut in pay. Now, I kept going to bed early and rising early. So I'd try to go to bed between 8 and 9, and then I'd get up between 4 and 5 and have three to four hours of Bible reading and prayer every morning, just real habitually, real regularly. Now, when the Bible says pray without ceasing, you can't pray all day long. You can't pray all night long. So pray without ceasing means to faithfully have your times of prayer. Like the prophet Daniel, the Bible says he prayed three times a day and gave thanks to God. Well, he didn't pray all day long every day, but he he prayed continually, meaning that he, he prayed habitually. And then he did that and continued. He didn't give God any disruption when they made a law that you would be thrown into the lion's den if you prayed to any, any god except the king of Persia. And Daniel refused to give God disruption. He refused, even under the threat of death, to disrupt his prayer life. And what did God do for him? Well, he kept him. In the lion's den, an angel came, shut the mouths of the lions, and uh, the king the next morning pulled Daniel out with great rejoicing, gave him a huge promotion, and threw all of his enemies to the lions. <laughs> and the lions uh, broke their bones before they reached the bottom of the den. Well, likewise, God kept me through 2020. We didn't go into debt. Our ministry income actually increased as many people started donating to put my book 21 Ways to Forgive into prisons. And so during that year, my ministry and influence actually increased. Now, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16:9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. That's the ESV translation. Now, just as God hears when we're talking about his wonderful miracles and he hears when we pray, God sees when we treat others with unfailing justice and righteousness and holiness, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. The golden rule, Jesus said. Now, when God sees that we're rejoicing, giving thanks, faithfully praying, he takes action and he gives us strong support. You and I cannot control the disruptions that continue to come to America and to the world. <clears throat> I personally believe there's going to be a great disruption in our currency. Uh, we're seeing disruption in the energy supply that could get really scary and disruptions in food uh, such as baby formula I believe that's just the beginning. The supply chain, all kinds of disruption. Because God is dealing with hearts. He cannot bless wickedness. Now, I just pray earnestly God spares us from nuclear war. Uh, and I will pray that God helps us in all these problems. But my point that I'm making is that you and I can't control all these disruptions and prevent them. We wish there'd be certain people in charge that wouldn't do the stupid things that are uh, bringing about so much dis disruption. But we, we can't control that. But we, what we can control supersedes what we cannot control. Now, listen, we can keep ourselves from giving God disruption. See? Now, say that out loud. I can keep myself from giving God disruption. I am not, just say to yourself, I'm not going to give God disruption and he's going to keep me through whatever comes, whatever disruptions come. God's going to keep me because I don't give him disruption. Now then we'll depend on the Holy Spirit, not our own righteousness, and God will help us. Speaking of angels, uh, a few years ago I was in Vermont and a prophetic lady there told me that God was assigning a special angel to help my wife, Bonnie. And uh, since then, we've had so many experiences of this angel helping Bonnie uh, find things that were lost or misplaced. And then we've started asking God to help loan that angel out, so to speak, to other people. <laughs> I've got some stories to tell you. Well, we could 
almost make a book now of these stories. But on, on our vacation to Branson, Missouri, Bonnie lost her prescription glasses. They're very expensive. So we searched our car. We searched our motel room. I got down on my knees on both sides of the front seat, passenger and driver's seat. I reached under the seat. I I was looking all around in the car where those glasses could have fallen. And I, I searched that car like that repeatedly down on my knees and several times. And Bonnie did the same thing. And so then we went back to different concert venues where we thought she might have dropped her glasses. The buildings were locked. We walked around on the sidewalks outside. Finally, I said, Bonnie, we've got to drive home. And uh, so she just prayed one last time, God, you know, you said you'd help me with the angel. And when she opened the car door, the glasses were right in plain sight, just right down on the side of the passenger seat, not where your feet would go, but just to the side of the seat. They were just sitting there, biggest day. <laughs> now, I had what I would have had my face about six inches from those glasses reaching under that seat, and I didn't see them several different times. So we began to have all kinds of these angel experiences. Now, recently, our son-in-law uh, needed a very important document from his service days for a job interview, and he had to have it by a certain day, and he looked and looked and looked and looked and couldn't find it. And so Bonnie asked God to uh, let her angel uh, go over there and help him. And so he looked in the file where he'd already looked about 10 different times, and there it was, right there. Now, on my recent trip to Iowa, my friend uh, Pat Burgess, uh, before I left, brought out two $20 bills and bought eight more copies of 21 Ways to Forgive in Spanish. So when I got home, he called me and, and asked if I'd accidentally taken his money clip. And uh, I said, no, I, I never saw your money clip in the first place, and I didn't bring it home. He said, well, we've just torn this house apart. I said, well, I can't help you with, uh, you know, because I didn't take it, but I will help you this way. Bonnie's got this special angel that helps her find stuff all the time. I'll ask God to just send that angel on a quick trip out there to, to help you. And uh, so then a couple days later, he uh, sent me a message. He said, we found the money clip right on the top of my desk where I looked six times and where my wife Jean looked twice. Now, that's an angel story. I haven't seen the angel, but I've heard people prophesying that we're coming into days where angels are going to be more frequent. We're going to see angels. Well, we've, we haven't seen that angel, but we've sure seen what that angel can do. And I want you to remember the point that I'm making. Uh, God said the word for America was disruption. My sense is, that that hasn't gone away since COVID has, has, has waned. And whatever new disruptions come, they may even be bigger and more scary and more numerous than what we went through in 20 and 21. But I'm going to say what God wants to hear. I'm going to talk miracle stories. And then I'm not going to give God any disruption in my rejoicing, in my prayers, in my righteousness, and my holiness. Now, I'm going to have to ask God for a lot of help to not give him disruptions. And if I do give him some and I catch myself being cranky or crabby or whatever, uh, I'll just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to get right back to not giving you any disruptions. I'm going to reconnect as fast and quickly as I can. And I urge you to do the same. Now, remember, I told you I only had three points. So now we're at point three. Practice hiding in God's secret place. Now, you're, my audience is almost all Christians. And so Psalms 91 is the famous psalm where God promises so much protection. And it starts off in the King James, Psalms 91, verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I never realized it. I've been in the ministry 49 years, and I've been reading the Bible. I'm 72. I've been reading the Bible since I was 12. So 60 years I've been reading the Bible, and I never really noticed that those are two separate things. 
The secret place of the Most High qualifies you to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And the only people that really abide under the shadow of the Almighty are the ones that dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And Psalms 91 is going to tell you all the benefits of living in that secret place under the shadow of the Almighty. But I believe Psalms 31 will tell you how to live in the secret place. And it's only just recently that, that in my spirit, those two really connected. Back in 1996, I was going through a terrible slander attack. And uh, all kinds of five different letters were sent out to the whole congregation saying that I was insane and that I was an idolater and all these wonderful things. <laughs> and I was just trying to get through this crisis any way I could. So I'd go early and I'd pray in the morning all alone in this prayer room at the church. And one morning I was reading my Bible and I came across this verse in Psalms 31. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues." And when I read that, I cried out, Oh, God, that's what I need. Hide me in your secret shelter from the strife of tongues. And God spoke to me and said, I will if you'll stay out of it. And that's all he said, but I understood what that meant. I couldn't be hidden away from the strife of tongues if I went out and played around in it. And so I determined that I would not say anything bad about the people who were saying so much bad stuff about me. I just absolutely refused, and God got me through that terrible time. And I went on to more fruitful ministry and uh, ended up seeing thousands of people baptized in the Holy Spirit after that time. And on and on I could go. Now, uh but see, I, did, I never related that to Psalms 91. So just recently, all of a sudden I realized, hey, this is the way you hide in that secret place. And he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High is going to get this big benefit of abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I personally believe that very few people live in that secret shelter from the strife of tongues. I believe that most people are out there in the strife of tongues participating in it. Now, you can't be hidden from it if you play around in it. You understand that. The internet overflows with snarky, witty put-downs, slanders, angry words, insults, mockery. Outrageous things are said, words that could easily turn into bloodshed. I'm often amazed at the horrible things said about conservatives, about Christians, pro-life people, white people, etc. People who talk like that are not living in the secret shelter of God. They are living in the strife of tongues. That means they're not living under God's protection. So what's going to happen when the terror comes by night, when the arrow flies by day, when the pestilence stalks in the darkness and destruction lays waste at noon? That's Psalms 91, verse 5 and 6. Well, those who dwell in the shelter spoken of in Psalms 31 are so close to God that they abide in his presence. Now, the psalmist wrote, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. See, God wants to hear you say the right things. So talk about God's miracles. Don't give him disruption in your, in your, in your rejoicing, in your thankfulness, in your prayers, or your righteous or holy living. And then, thirdly, hide in that secret place by, by absolutely refusing to get into the strife of tongues. Now, I believe that most Christians like to read the benefits of Psalm 91 and claim that as their own without ever 
making any effort to live in the secret place. <clears throat> Maybe I shouldn't say most, but many at least. <clears throat> because we like to read... Uh, uh, we like to read all the wonderful benefits of Psalms 91. But remember Psalms 31, thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. That's the King James Version. Now I want to give you some verses that would do real good to commit to memory because they'll help you take captive mad, bad, and sad thoughts of the devil. You have to take a bad thought captive with a bigger, better thought. So Paul wrote this verse. Memorize this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's Ephesians 4.29. Now you might say, well, what good is a verse like that to me? It doesn't promise me a million dollars. It doesn't promise me healing. Oh, my friend, if you would do that, you'd, you'd be hidden away in the secret place of the Most High, and you would abide in the shelter of the Almighty. See, you wouldn't be in the strife of tongues if you didn't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. No put-downs, no insults, no mockery, no slander, you see, only what benefits them. So God wants you to hear you say things that build others up, things that meet their needs, things that benefit the listener. Now you might say, well, that sounds like a lot of work and trouble. I don't see how that can benefit me at all. Saying only what is helpful and only what builds others up and only what benefits others means I can't curse people, I can't slander people, I can't insult people, I can't belittle people, I can't mock people, I can't humiliate people, I can't embarrass people, I can't get angry and rage and express all my frustration and hatred towards people. Well, <laughs> friend, it's worth it to live in the secret pavilion or the secret shelter hidden away in God's secret place from the strife of tongues. It's really worth it. Why? Because you will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I believe with all my heart that those who refuse to participate in the strife of tongues will experience the great promises of Psalms 91. I also believe that we're coming into times where we're going to need those promises actuated in our lives for our very survival. Now, Paul Paul wrote, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's Ephesians 4, 30 and 31. It's right in that portion of scripture there with verse 29. Now, an unbeliever can't do that. So if someone's listening and they're not even a Christian, well, of course, they couldn't do it. Uh, it takes Christ on the inside of us. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to get rid of rage, brawling, anger, bitterness, and slander, you'll first of all have to say, Dear God, I can't cleanse myself from that. Forgive me for my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Take over my life. I receive you as my Savior. Now, when he's on the inside, then you get the help of the Holy Spirit that can help you do that. But an unbeliever, of course, can't. But Paul wasn't writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians. All right, so an unbeliever needs to repent and receive Jesus as Lord. The Christian needs to say, Holy Spirit, help me do this. You see, we've got to desire to be hidden away in God's secret place from the strife of tongues and realize the tremendous benefits if we do. Now, here I go again. I'm convinced that most Christians have no intention of getting rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Malice is the desire to hurt people back and show them how it felt. So God lets us choose. He lets me choose. He lets you choose. He doesn't want us thinking that getting rid of bitterness, rage, anger, slander, and the like means a loss. He wants us to realize it means gaining a life hidden in the secret place of the Most High. Now it says, then, then you'd abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Well, there are no shadows in heaven, so that's just a figure of speech. But it means you're so near to God that if he did cast a shadow, which he doesn't, 
but you'd be in his shadow if he did. It's a figure of speech, but you get the point. Now, Paul wrote another verse, 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 26, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome and must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they'll come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who's taking them captive to do his will. Now, we can gently instruct others without being quarrelsome. So way back in the 1970s, God first called me to be a soul winner. And then several years later, I said, do you have anything more for me? And he said, yes, I'm calling you to be an intercessor. And then God taught me as an intercessor, I'd have to be the sweetest person in the church. And he began to show me what I call sweet spirit verses. I've listed 100 of them in the appendix of the book, The Heart God Hears. Little did I realize, I thought God wanted me to be sweet just so I could get answers to prayer. But now I realize that God wanted me to virtually live in the benefits of Psalms 91. Uh, now go to Psalms 31. Look, about, look where it talks about the secret place hidden away from the strife of tongues and realize that you can't be hidden away from it if you want to participate in it. Then go to Psalms 91 and read all the benefits. Here's the benefits. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, see, God wants to hear you say that, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra. You'll trample the great lion and the serpent. Verse 14 of Psalms 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, now I'm closing and I wanted to tell you one more angel story and uh, remind you again that when the righteous get together, we ought to talk miracles. So in Yonkala, after the the service, uh, the pastor and his wife asked me out and the lady that carried her cane out and her husband joined us. And while we were talking, we got the conversation steered around to start talking miracles. And she told me how she worked as a preschool teacher and uh, they took all the children for a walk and they wanted to walk through a train tunnel instead of having to walk all the way around it. And there was no train scheduled to come for that whole month. So she decided to take her children and her helper, another adult helper, and they would walk through the tunnel. But the other teacher just didn't want to take that chance, so she took her children and went the longer way. But uh, a train did come while they were in the tunnel, and they were caught in the tunnel. And so they began to cry out, Oh, God, please save these children. Please save us. And they took the little children, pressed them up against the wall, and then they leaned into the children to keep them from being sucked under the train. But uh, while they were leaning to protect the children and praying, they felt an angel lean into them and pin them to the wall. So when the train came and all that suction came that should have sucked them underneath the train and killed them, uh, they were pinned to the wall. And both of the adults said, did you feel that? And they both felt it. Now, they didn't see the angel, <laughs> but they were delivered by the angel. All right. 
Here's the review. Say the right things. God wants to hear you say the right things. Talk miracles instead of gossip. Talk about how great God is instead of how bad people are, how bad things are. God will hear. He'll make a note. He'll record it. And then he's going to deliver us during the most catastrophic judgments. Secondly, you just don't give God disruption. He's going to keep you through the worst disruptions. So rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then my third point, finally, do not say anything that's hurtful or strife-filled. Speak only what builds up and benefits, because if you'll stay out of the strife of tongues, you will be hidden in the secret place spoken of in Psalms 91, verse 1. And he who dwells in the secret place abides in the shadow of the Almighty. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485 Cresswell, Oregon 97426.